Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. Hello and happy Holy Thursday, if, that, if that's the right way to say that. Um, I'm trying to scoot my chair up, and so if you're watching the video and you're like, what's he doing? He's trying to scoot his chair up. Anyway, what's up, y'all? It is Holy Thursday today, which means this podcast is coming out a little bit later. It's, I'm still releasing it on Thursday. Usually it's just available like first thing on Thursday, um, but I'm recording it on Holy Thursday today um, for a few reasons. The most practical of these reasons is that Holy Week has been a little bit crazy, um, and uh, we've been pumping out a lot of content um, at our St. Teresa Church here and on our YouTube channel. Speaking of which, if you haven't subscribed, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, St. Teresa Catholic Church in Austin. Do it. Um, but anyway, we've been pumping out a lot of content and so working on that, but also it's just Holy Week, and Holy Week tends to be crazy for anybody who works for a church. You know it's a little bit cray-cray up in here. Uh, but the second reason is because we're taking a slight detour from our Theology of the Body mini-series that we started a few weeks back um, because we are Catholics with Bibles, obviously, which means we need to be liturgically correct. You know, we need to acknowledge the fact that the church in her wisdom has given us seasons in which to grow in our spirituality and our love for the Lord in different ways and in different times and different seasons. You know, obviously, Advent is not the same as Lent, and Lent is not the same as Easter, the season of Easter. And, you know, Easter is not the same as ordinary time. So we try our best here on the show. I try my best here on the show to make sure that, you know, we at least acknowledge what season that we're in and try to act appropriately. Um, so in today's episode, we are actually going to be diving into, well, okay, let me pause. Uh, <laughs> I was really having a hard time uh, deciding what I wanted to focus on in this week's episode uh, for you know, just the simple matter is like, there's so much we could talk about. We can talk about the Triduum. Uh, we can talk about, you know, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil. We can talk about the scripture passages we'll read in the Triduum. We could talk about, um, you know, we can talk about in any of the passion narratives that, you know, we could come across. We could talk about, you know, Pope Benedict XVI, Jesus of Nazareth, and his third book, which is Passion Week. Um, and instead of trying to just cram everything into this 20 or 30 minute episode, I was like, okay, Kraus, you just got to pick. You just got to decide something and then do it, right? Um, and so I decided to zoom in on Jesus' final discourse, Last Supper discourse in the Gospel of John in light of the Feast of Atonement, right, in the Old Testament. Uh, because I think this is just a really fascinating way to understand what that what Jesus did was a perfect fulfillment of what was set up in the Old Testament. We're going to get to that in a little bit here. Um, it wasn't something that, you know, was totally, I don't want to say the word new, because it was totally new, and, and obviously it was something radically different. But at the same time, the foundation for it was there in this idea of uh, the Feast of Atonement, right? And so it's really important for us as Catholics, or Christians, if you're not a Catholic listening to this, to understand the Old Testament feast, right? To understand the Jewish feast of Passover, of tabernacles, of atonement, right? Um, Yom Kippur. Uh, and so it's, it's, it, it is important because it'll just bring the scriptures more to life, right? Especially the New Testament. So much of the New Testament is 
filled, filled with allusions to the Old Testament. Um, and so I think as a, as a Catholic, uh, I've seen in my experience in ministry way too many Catholics that just don't know hardly anything about the Old Testament, right? Um, you know, they can tell me what the four Gospels are, maybe, maybe. maybe. Um, but like, you know, and they can tell me the story of Adam and Eve, kind of. They can tell me the story of Noah, kind of. Abraham, sort of. David, kind of, you know. But like, it's it's very superficial understanding of the Old Testament, especially of the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, because a lot of times after you get through Genesis and the first half of Exodus, well, it can seem a little odd that the laws are, you know, foreign to us. They, they, they're, you know, kind of weird that are my animal sacrifice and, and we can't, we don't, we really miss the significant. So um, I'm not going to soapbox uh, too much on this, but I'll, I will say that if you find yourself really struggling to understand the old Testament, or you just want to grow deeper in your understanding of the old Testament, um, there's an amazing, amazing book by uh, Dr. Brant Petrie and Dr. John Bergsma. They co-authored it called a Catholic introduction to the old Testament. This book y'all is so good, like so good. I can't recommend this book enough. Um, it, they'll, they'll walk you through the entire Old Testament. They'll break down every book. They'll talk about the important parts of the book uh, in pretty, pretty much in a lot of detail, actually, considering uh, how much material they're trying to get through. Um, and then in every chapter after every book, they'll give you like a bunch of different uh, commentaries or you know, follow-up readings if you want to study that one book more in depth. Um, so Catholic Introduction to New, uh, Old Testament, sorry, um, by John Bergsma and Brant Petrie. And it's it's phenomenal. It's just such a good book. I think they're actually working on a Catholic Introduction to the New Testament or maybe the Gospels and then Paul. And when that comes out, y'all, I'm going to freak out because the Old Testament was just so good. And I'm just excited for them to, to write this New Testament. So going into today, the Greek word of the day is hora. So hora is the Greek word for hour. We can kind of hear the word hour and hora almost. Um, and the reason I picked this word is, is, you know, Jesus says my hour has not yet come at certain points of the Old Testament. But then later on in this Last Supper discourse in John, he says my, the hour has come to glorify the Father, right? Uh, so the, the passage I'm going to zoom in on a little bit here it is John 17 in particular, uh, but also in light of just the entire Last Supper scene in the Gospel of John. Because remember the Gospel of John, it's actually the longest account of the Last Supper in any of the Gospels uh, without the actual account of the Eucharist, right? So the, the words, you know, when Jesus says, take, eat, this is my body, you know, and then take, drink, this is the blood of the new covenant given for you. Those words actually aren't in the Gospel of John. You can ask, you know, why, why isn't it there? Um, and it can be for a few different reasons and we're not going to get into it too much, but you know, a, a one theory is that, well, John arguably being the last gospel written, recognized that Matthew, Mark, and Luke and Paul actually in his letters uh, to the Corinthians, um, address this issue already. They, 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 they tell their readers about it and it's well known. And also too, another potential reason is because in early church, in the early cr Christian church, non-Christians weren't allowed to participate in the mysteries. They called them in the mysteries. And so non-Christians, they could come as catechumens to the beginning where they read the gospels or read one of the uh, scripture book, scriptural books. And then there was a, the, the homily. They wouldn't call it the homily, but the homily. But then they were forced to leave before the mysteries started, namely the liturgy of the Eucharist. 
And so another potential reason is that John didn't want to share too much of the mysteries because he wrote later in his life. And, uh, you know, by this point, the Christian persecutions are pretty strong. Um, and so the high priestly prayer of Jesus is kind of what I want to zoom in on. But we're also going to jump to Leviticus and Exodus. And we're going to kind of be looking at a lot today. So bear with me, but it's important. Um, so I'm just going to read just the first brief passage here of, of John 17. We read this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour, right, Hora, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who have ha you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you, you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, that the glory that I had with you before the world, or sorry, with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you, the, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and you have believed, and they have believed that you sent me. Okay, I can't read. Um, but anyway, so this is just the first part of what's called the high priestly prayer of Christ. So Jesus is taking on the role of a high priest, but a high priest when? Arguably, and I'm going to make the case, during the Feast of Atonement. So the first thing I want to point out before we kind of get into that is in this first part, the word glory came up a lot, doxa in Greek. Glorify your name in me. Glorify me now because I have glorified you. This idea of the share of the glory of the Father. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, I think probably a few months ago now. This idea of glory in, in the Old Testament, right, and in the New Glory in Hebrew, uh, kavod, is what the Hebrew word for glory, it, it means glory, yes, but it has its roots in actually this, the, the idea of, of reality or weight. So kavod has, this, has the Hebrew, kind of the roots of the word weight, right, weightiness. So to be glorious means to be heavy, right, in like a literal sense. It means to be weighty or in another, in another sense, it's more real, you're heavier. You have more reality. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, if a king was glorious, he was more real than his, his subject, right? So, for example, if I go to England right now and I meet the queen, and if I say uh, to some servant, I knight thee, you are now a knight in the front of the queen, everybody would look at me like I'm an idiot because my words won't affect reality because I'm not glorious enough to do that. I'm not real enough. But if the queen looks at a servant and says, I knight thee, you know, sir, so-and-so, her words affect reality. Why? Because she's more glorious than me, right? She, her reality, if you will, her, the kavod of her existence is more real than me, right? So she affects reality more than I do, Right. Um, and same with uh, like a, with a police officer. If I go to uh, somebody and say, I'm, I'm, you're under arrest, right? They wouldn't actually be under arrest because I have no authority to do so. But if uh, you know, a deputized police officer 
goes up to somebody and says, you're under arrest, right? Well, then they in fact be under arrest, right? Because uh, he is more real, more glorious than I am. So when Jesus says, Father, glorify me as I have glorified you with the glory that I, we have shared, I shared with you before the world existed. Namely, he's praying to the Father, saying, Father, my mission is, is complete. I'm entering into the Holy of Holies now as your high priest. Glorify me that they may see your glory, right? They may see the truth because they believe. Jesus shares the glory of God the Father. That's what he's saying here. He's saying that he is co-eternal, co-equal, which we profess in the creed, with the Father. He is reality itself. His words affect reality. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and boom, there was light because he is reality itself. Therefore, he is the most glorious, right? Uh, and in Hebrew, we talked about this too, with uh, theology of the body in hebrew there's no word there's no way to say big bigger biggest right you had to say big 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 and then big 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 but very rarely if, if hardly ever was the three the big 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 used because it implied infinite bigness right so the great so if you're walking down the street and there's a ditch on the side of the road it's like oh that's a ditch and if you saw the grand canyon you would say oh that's a ditch ditch right it's a, it's a really big ditch but you wouldn't say ditch 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 because it's not an infinitely deep ditch but throughout the Old and New Testament, when you see holy, 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 or glory, 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 or any, any of these words repeated three times towards God, it's implying the infinite glory, infinite holiness of God, right? And so this co-eternal glory that, that Jesus shares with the Father um, as a high priest. And why do I say he's a high priest? Well, that's when we need to pivot now and turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 16, um, and so this is, um, gosh, okay, it's a lot here, and I really want to read the whole thing, but I won't. <laughs> but I'm going to read. I'm going to read bits and pieces of it. So this in Leviticus 16 is actually when we we hear from God how the feast of atonement is to be celebrated from Aaron, the high priest, right? So so check this out. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. When they drew near before the Lord and got Lord and died, and the Lord said to Moses, "Tell Aaron your brother not to come at all times into the holy place within the veil, before the mercy seat which is upon the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. But thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen co coat." And shall have the linen breeches on his body, be girded with the linen girdle, and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water, and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Okay, so in this passage, what happens? Well, namely, the two sons of Aaron... Aaron enter the Holy of Holy and they die at the presence of God, right? Because we know in the Old Testament, anybody who sees the face of the Lord will die. And so, and, and also because they weren't worthy, right? Um, and so what's this whole reality, this whole thing of, of, of wearing linen, everything, right? Namely, it's, it's humble garments, right? And what does Jesus do at the Last Supper, which is today, Holy Thursday? He strips into just an, a linen apron, right? So he is like the high priest of the Old Testament, 
putting on humble garments to enter the Holy of Holies, right? So once again, looking at this, these two passages side by side. And then it says, take two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. But then what, right? What, what does he do? So we keep reading. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them up before the Lord at the door of the tent of the meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel, which we'll talk about in a second. And Aaron shall present the goat on which he, the lot fell for the Lord and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So real quick, Azazel, uh, there's different theories, but it's uh, kind of known to be like the demon of the wilderness, right? Um, I'm not going to get too much into this. Uh, anybody knows me, I don't, I don't do demonology. I don't do angelology. I never advise people to do demonology or angelology. It's dangerous stuff. Don't do it. You don't need to know about it. All you need to know is that, you know, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, they're the bomb.com. They're here to protect us, as are our guardian angels. Have, have a relationship with the guardian angel. They're awesome. And that uh, the devil and his, and, his, and his minions are dogs on leashes. They have no power over you. Uh, go to confession, stick to the sacraments. But anyway, um, what did I just read here? Well, first thing Aaron has to do, he has to make a sin offering for himself and his house. So just a refresher, a sin offering is essentially you take a bull, right, um, or an animal, and you kill an animal, and then you put the whole animal, and you burn the entire animal, right? Uh, so a lot of the offerings of the Old Testament, you would share the feast, right? Um, if you're watching me, you know I'm doing air quotes. If you're not watching me, I'm doing air quotes. Share uh, the feast um, with the Lord, uh, like a cereal offering. Uh, part of it would be burned and go up to the Lord. The other part you would consume or the priest would consume. But a sin offering, the entire thing goes up in smoke um, up to the Lord. And so the first thing that Aaron has to do as a high priest is offer burnt offering for himself, right? For the forgiveness of his sins and forgiveness of the sins of, the pe- of, his, of his house. And then he takes two goats, right? Cast lots, which you don't really actually know what that means. Uh, there's different theories about what cast lots means. Um, for now, let's picture rolling dice. That's not what it is, but it's casting lots. It's kind of a chance game. And he finds through the lots the goat he's going to sacrifice on behalf of the people. But the other goat, it's, it's where we get the term scapegoat, right? It's, oh, it's a scapegoat because that goat is released into the wild and it bears on its head the sins of the people, right? Um, and so why do we know this? Well, later on in verse 20, we read this. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them upon the head of the goat and send him away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities upon him in solitary to the solitary land, and he shall let the goat go into the wilderness. Okay, so why is that important? Well, it's this idea of this is the Feast of Atonement, which happens once a year. Every year, the high priest goes and performs this atonement ritual, right? He makes a, a burnt offering for himself and for his house, and then on behalf of the people, he begs forgiveness of the Lord, right? And the goat uh, takes 
that you know the sins on his head symbolically and is released into the wilderness back into exile where the people came from right where sin and darkness and evil dwell in, uh, you know in a figurative way in the old testament and takes the sin of the people away well what what happens with jesus right well we know that he he strips down and then washes the disciples feet he's wearing humble clothes just like the high priest was ordered to do but then what does he do he prays just like the high priest would pray in the Holy of Holies in a t- in, in, on behalf of the people, right? He confesses the people's sins. In this high priestly prayer, he's praying to the Father to glorify his name, to, you know, to save uh, his disciples, that none should be uh, taken from him. For example, in 1716, uh, we read, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth as you sent me into the world. So I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. And he goes on, and the last thing, I may known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So Jesus, making this high priestly prayer to the Father, he has stripped himself. He's in humble clothes and he prays to the father on behalf of his disciples and everyone who will believe through them, right? Through them. And then what does he do? Right after that, we have the arrest, betrayal, betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion of Jesus. He takes the sins of the people on his head with that crown of thorns. He takes the scourging and he offers himself as a perfect sin offering, right? Sin offering means you present the, something to the Lord and the entire thing goes up in smoke on, for forgiveness of sins. And it, that's in a symbolic way of the Old Testament. But Jesus gives of himself fully as the perfect hilasterion in Greek, the sin offering. He was sin who knew no sin. You heard that verse from St. Paul? He was sin who knew no sin. It's, he was hilasterion who knew no sin. He was a sin offering who knew no sin. Jesus gave himself perfectly. He is the high priest praying on behalf of the people, but he's also the sacrificial lamb that was slain as a perfect burnt offering for us and for everyone who believes through his disciples, right? I think one thing that's just really cool to think about in verse 22, we just read, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. The baptism you received as a baby or maybe as an adult, the reality of God is imprinted on your soul. You have become more real. You are heavier now. Your life, if you work with the Holy Spirit, should affect the reality of those entrusted to your care. When you enter your vocation, your reality, your words and actions should affect those under you in a way that glorifies the Father. I encourage you to, to, 
if you have time, especially today or maybe even tomorrow, to, to pray through John 17. It's just, it's the prayer to the, you get a glimpse into Jesus' prayer life with the Father, which is full of love, which is full of petition on behalf of his disciples. He is the perfect intercessor to the Father. He is the, his cross is the bridge to heaven. He has made perfect atonement for our sins. We don't, we don't celebrate the Feast of Atonement in the Catholic Church. Like we celebrate, we celebrate Pentecost, right? We, we, in a certain way, celebrate Passover with Easter. We don't celebrate the Feast of Atonement. Why? Because we don't need to anymore. Jesus has done it. He has forgiven us our sins in and through his perfect sacrificial self-gift. So I, I hope that this just brief study, and, and I've, I've, always there's so much more we could say, helps you to kind of see the connections between the Old and New Testament a little bit better this Easter season. Um, there's not going to be an episode next week because it's Easter week and I'm taking a week off um, to spend time with the Lord and with the family. So I hope you get to spend some time with the Lord and with the family this Easter season. A uh, couple quick things. This Friday begins the Divine Mercy Novena. Um, there's a great free app called like Divine Mercy or something like that. If you just go to the app store, type in Divine Mercy, you'll find it. It has the Novena prayers in there. It has bits of the Diary of St. Faustina in there, as well as the Divine Mercy Chaplet in there if you don't know it. Um, I really encourage you, pray the Divine Mercy Novena, um, and then uh, try to, you know, get that plenary indulgence, right? Um, try to go to confession, try to uh, pray, pray for the Pope, um, pray for his intentions, have a perfect contrition of sins, which is always easier said than done. Uh, but anyway, pray the Novena. It's a beautiful Novena. There's so much grace in it. Um, also, you know, don't forget that the Easter season is a truly a season. It's like 50 days until Pentecost. But in a special way, we have the Easter octave. So starting on, on Easter vigil on Saturday night, all the way till Divine Mercy Sunday, party it up, y'all. Like have some cake, have a good glass of bourbon, have a nice cigar, celebrate the risen Lord, go to mass, pray extra, feast, feast, y'all. I'm praying for you guys. Please continue to pray for me and my family and everybody here at St. Teresa. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Catholics with Bibles. And until the next time, God bless. All righty, y'all. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Catholics with Bibles. Don't forget to like, subscribe, give us a review. That helps people find us on the interwebs easier. Uh, and as always, thank you so much for joining me on Catholics with Bibles. Have a very blessed and happy Easter. God bless y'all.